Hello sailors and welcome to another episode of Offshore Sailing and Cruising with Paul Trammell. Well today I've got a great one for you. I've got Will and Sarah Curry from Hydrovane and we're going to talk all about uh, the Hydrovane which is uh, something that I use. It is the Windbane Autopilot that is always steering Windflower when we are offshore. So stick around for that. Before we get started, I want to thank everybody that's been supporting the podcast through Patreon. You can find a link on my website, paultrammel.com, to Patreon, where you can support the podcast financially. If you are a regular listener, please consider doing so. I could not do this podcast without your help. Thanks to J.B. Langley for their support, makers of the Altus rain suit. I've been wearing the Altus rain jacket, super high quality, waterproof, windproof. I'm very happy with it. You can find them at jblangley.com. Thanks to Blue for their support. They are the makers of the tankless dive systems, the Nemo and the Nomad. It's a battery-powered tankless dive system that floats above you and allows you to stay underwater for an hour or an hour and a half. I've got the Nemo, just got it in the mail, and I'm very excited about it. I'll be using that to clean Windflower's hull. It should be a lot faster, safer, less expensive than having someone else do it safer in that I don't have to hold my breath while I'm doing it, which, uh, you know, I, I'm a good free diver, but, but doing work to the bottom of your boat uh, for an extended amount of time while trying to hold your breath is just, just not safe. So I'm very excited about the Nemo. Find them at DiveBlue.com, D-I-V-E-B-L-U-3.com. Also, thanks to Scammar for their support, makers of the Monitor Windvane, the Pelagic Autopilot, which I use, and also the Anchor Rescue System, which I've also got on Windflower a system that allows you to lift your anchor from its tripping point whenever it's stuck on the bottom. Uh, find them at scammarinternational.com. Uh, also, you can support the podcast by buying any of my books. They're all available at Amazon and at paultrammel.com books. All right, so without further ado, let's get right to it. This is my interview with Will and Sarah Curry from Hydrovane. Thanks for coming on to the podcast. I appreciate you guys taking the time to come on and talk to everybody. Thanks for the invite. <laughs> sure. Happy to do it. Yeah. I feel like it was just yesterday we saw you at the boat show. <laughs> it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Have you since sailed south? Yes. I sailed back to St. Augustine, Florida, and my boat is there in a marina right now, and I'm in Louisiana visiting my family for Thanksgiving. Oh, nice. That cool. sounds great. Very nice. Yeah, so I had a I had a successful sail back and um and the hydrovane steered the whole way as always. Nice. That's good to awesome. hear. <laughs> it's, it's very good. Yeah, kind Where of are you guys? small world the small uh, world yeah. that David um, ordered a hydrovane too. Oh yeah, that is funny. You know, he uh I just met him in Annapolis and my uh batteries needed a, a maintenance charge, which I didn't even know about. I hadn't even that's just new vocabulary to me, maintenance charge. But I talked to the guys at Lifeline, and they they told me about it. And then uh, David and I had lunch together, and I told him about it. And he said, "Oh well, I I have a I have the machine you need to do that. And there's a empty T dock right next to my slip, and it'll probably only cost you a dollar a foot per day if you want to come up there." I thought, well, shoot, that's I probably ought to do it. So I went up to his dock in Baltimore and and uh, did a maintenance charge for the first time on my batteries and saw his boat. It's a really cool boat. Like a pilot house, yeah. big, uh, big interior, uh, nice looking boat. Yeah, yeah. We su we supplied a few hydrovanes for that model, but like I said, you don't see many of them in the U.S. Most of them are over in Europe. Yeah, I never heard of it. I think it's a Bellior 
41 or something like that. With a big swim teak deck on the back. And remind me what type of boat you have, Paul. Windflower is a Cartwright 40. Oh, okay, cool. And you, so you sailed her up. You had her in Annapolis for the boat show? I did. I was coming back from Canada. And uh, yeah, I was in, I was in Annapolis. So, so you guys are in British Columbia. Do you, do you sail up there regularly? Oh, well, um, we have, we haven't recently though. Um, the the second, yeah, we've been kind of snowbirds for a lot of years, but the second Uh to last that we had, we bought up here, uh, in 2016, I think, as you know, 43. And then we lasted about a winter and a half. Um, and then we realized we needed to sail south. So we sailed that boat to, down to Mexico. But certainly nice. this, this part of the world is just wonderful cruising. It's it's amazing. There's so many calm, protected anchorages, so much to explore. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the season this, is the season's short. very short. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys know Andrew Evans, uh, author um, of Single Hand Sailing? He lives up there. No, we don't. He lives up there, and I interviewed him a long, long time ago. But he, but I remember him saying, "This is this is one of the best places in the world to sail yeah. because you can sail all year round here." <laughs> I thought, I'm not sailing all yeah. year round somewhere that cold. You, you kind of can. <laughs> you, you have to have your we boat did. really well set up. If, if you have a nice enclosure and yeah. a good heating system, you can do it. But yeah. uh, it's a different type of cruise. Yeah, we yeah. sailed down to the Seattle show for during winter. We were the only people out there in like the San Juan Islands and the Gulf Islands. It was. It's really, really beautiful, but um, yeah, just just a little chilly. Mm-hmm. Where in Mexico is your boat? Uh, so our last boat, we actually sold it in Puerto Vallarta in, in, April. in April of this year. Uh, so we had owned her for about seven years. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, we had our, our twin boys aboard for yeah almost three seasons in Mexico. And, uh, and then we just kind of, I can't even remember why we decided to sell her. We were, we knew we were moving on to, um, to, to new things. So yeah, I know why we have two, three and a half year old yeah. boys and we need more space. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I yeah. bet you did. Right. So, so your new boat is in Puerto Vallarta as well? Uh, yeah, no. So the new boat, uh, we ended up buying, it's in Greece of all places. Oh. And, uh, yeah, we, we were looking for this specific model. It's a Leopard 46 uh, catamaran. Oh, that's right. And, and uh, yeah, so we'd been kind of looking. We had it on our on our minds for quite a long time. And then everything, all the pieces kind of fell into place this past summer. And so we bought it in August uh, from a Norwegian family that had owned it for three years. And we just recently got back from being there for three months and, getting to know the boat and life on a catamaran and, and getting to know us cruising in Greece, which is pretty spectacular. Yeah, I bet it is. Yeah. So you, you wanted an extra, uh, a separate hull, not just more space, but a whole separate yeah. hull for the, for the boys, huh? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and our cruising is a little bit different because we also work kind of full time and, you know, we've, we have three and a half year old twin boys. So we realized um, when they were about, I guess, one and a half. This was the fall winter of 2020 when we were cruising in Mexico, trying to keep up with work at a very challenging age with toddlers on a boat. We realized that we really needed a third person to kind of help us out with, with the boys. Okay. 
So um, last winter when we were in Mexico, we actually hired like an au pair. So a really wonderful 19-year-old girl came with us and then she was kind of able to help us with the boys um, during the day when we need to be on our computers. Um, But it was just really, you know, it did get quite tight with five adults and two toddlers on on the... Three adults. Well, yeah, three, three, yeah, yeah, exactly. Three adults, two toddlers on the mono house. So... We did realize, and it had been our dream for some time to kind of move to the the whole catamaran mm-hmm. sailing thing. Uh, and so I think um, our au pair who came with us for the past three months, she had a uh, quite a nice time, <laughs> luxurious living quarters <laughs> compared to uh, the previous boat with her own her own hull. <laughs> yeah. yeah, cool. So how do you guys like uh, catamaran sailing compared to monohull? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I guess from a space perspective and livability, it's pretty awesome. I think one of the criteria that I was really keen on was getting a boat where you're kind of up high and you can see the world go by because we spend so much time on our computers. Just having that visibility and being able to see what's happening was, was pretty cool. Um, from a sailing standpoint, it's different. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's interesting. Like you don't feel you don't feel the loads like you do on a monohull. And I find that, I mean, we're still pretty new to it. Um, one of the things I'm, I've been doing to try and understand sail trim and shape and balance and all that is constantly going out and trying to pull the sheets by hand, you know, just to feel oh, yeah. what's, mm-hmm. what's happening. Because yeah. a lot of times when you're trimming from the cockpit and you're not paying too much attention, you can very quickly be totally out of sail trim and not even know it. Okay. So that's that one thing. That I've, one thing that I've learned, um, and yeah, as soon as you fall off and get onto a reach or anything downwind, uh, she really takes off. Uh, I can see how when we get in the into the trade winds, that we'll easily be able to do two hundred mile days. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Where are you going to take her? You're gonna trade? So you must be coming back through the Caribbean to somewhere, huh? Yeah, we've never Where's... actually cruised the Caribbean. All of our sailing the past ten years has been in the Pacific, so. We, when we started looking for a catamaran, we actually thought we'd probably buy one, you know, in Florida or on, on that side of the world. And mm-hmm. then when this one came up on Facebook in uh, Greece, we said, wow, that's an even better starting point. So we'll yeah, cross the Atlantic, yeah, in the coming years and, and then, uh, and then get to enjoy some of the places we haven't been yet. Cool. Right. Um, well, maybe I'll see you down there. I, sp- I spend a good yeah. time in the Caribbean. That's my favorite place. Yeah, for sure. We can't um, wait. Yeah, we've got lots to learn. <laughs> yeah, there's just so many places to go and to choose from. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess you'll go through the canal at some point too, huh? Yeah, mm-hmm. we'd really, um, when we crossed the Pacific almost 10 years ago now, uh, we always said the next time we cross, we'd like to do it on a catamaran just because, you know, you're 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 living on your boat. You're never going into a dock. There are no marinas. So just the livability aspect um, for being kind of more full time on the boat is, mm-hmm. is just it makes life pretty easy. But um, we, did you guys... we've learned to take one year at a time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good. Where did you guys go in the in the Pacific when you said you crossed um, it? Yeah, so that was we we bought our first boat, a Beneteau First Four Hundred Five, oh. and it was like. I think January, 2012. Yeah. And 
I didn't know how to sail. So we were in Mexico. We bought it down in, in the Baja. And we spent about a year, at least a season and a half, um, kind of teaching me how to sail, getting to know the boat and outfitting the boat for, for further offshore. And then we left Mexico March 2013 and did kind of, you know, the, the coconut milk run uh, all the way across. Um, and we went to Australia. It took us, what, like, we went in one season. So eight months across and, mm-hmm. uh, and then sold that boat in Sydney. Oh. But we stopped, yeah, all the all the major yeah, places. We, in we were doing the milk run. Um, <laughs> again, you know, with work commitments, we were kind of stuck to try to always stay you know, connected where we could. Yeah. We didn't go too far off the beaten track, but um, I mean, every, everyone in the South Pacific is off the beaten <laughs> yeah. track, you know, depending yeah. on how you want to look yeah, at this. It. Yeah, I, certainly. I mean, I've, I've never been anywhere over there, so it's all off the beaten track for me. Some of my friends are heading there. Oh yeah, you guys just sold my friends uh, Eric and Jenny Van Molson a hydrovein uh, for their for their uh, down easter thirty eight wind song uh, in Panama, and they are getting ready to. Oh yeah, okay. The... I don't remember exactly, but uh... oh, you're yeah, breaking up a bit there. Yeah, let's uh, let's go ahead and do that again. Stuck. There we go. Hopefully that'll work a little bit better. Uh, we've already seen each other's faces. We can uh, just pretend now. So yeah. anyway, there. <laughs> They're heading, uh, they're heading out across with the hydrovane. Did you guys put one on your catamaran? Not yet. It's Not yet. it's going to happen. We're, um, you know, like I say, we were kind of just getting used to the boat. It's a new boat and getting all the systems sorted out and figuring out what we want to add and what works and what doesn't. But, uh, yeah, I think at the beginning of next season, when we get back there in April, we'll get mm-hmm. the hydrovane mounted. And it's kind of cool because we're starting to get a lot of really positive feedback from catamarans and multi-hulls that are that we've sold hydrovanes to that are crossing oceans and just being like, wow, the performance is pretty awesome. Cool. Um, it's always been a bit, bit of a misconception out there that you know wind vanes don't work on multi-hulls when actually they do, as long as it's not a you know a high-speed flyer. Mm-hmm. Um- so what, let's talk about that for a minute. What kind of boats uh, do the hydrovane fit on, and what, and what what do they not fit on? I mean, they fit on most boats, but what do they um, what do they work on, and what do they not work on? I mean, really, our only two limitations are size and speed, or not not so much size. It would displacement. be displacement and speed. So. For example, if you've got a you know super fast uh, boat that's doing 15 knots and 18 knots of wind, well, that's not ideal for any wind vane because you're steering to apparent wind and the boat's constantly moving forward and back, and it's 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 challenging. So that's why you don't see wind vanes on you know these high speed round the world boats. Mm-hmm. Um, the other limitation would be displacement, but actually it's become less of a, a limitation because we have for really big boats, like when you get over uh, 50 to 60,000 pounds, we go to dual hydrovanes mounted on oh. either side. So we actually go with dual dual hydrovanes, which is dual rudders, which is double the power. Um, and we've done a few of those with, with good success as well. So we now kind of don't have an upper limit in terms of cruising. for cruising boats yeah. um, for displacement. And then it just depends on, on boat speed. So okay yeah so so do you know what the what the biggest boat is using a hydrovane now it's a good question a few examples uh well recently we just got an email from an oyster 57 that's crossing the indian ocean successfully mm-hmm. with hydrovane 
That was a big boat. Uh, we did a few years back, there was a boat in Annapolis around the Chesapeake that was a big wooden 65 foot. I can't even remember what the displacement was. I think it was like, you know, 35 tons or something crazy. And he actually had no engine on the boat. So he used a push boat to get in and out of Harbor and it was a big mm-hmm. gaff rigged wooden boat. And wow. he came back to us at the boat show a couple of years later and said, the hydrogen steers me beautifully. We're, we're super stoked. So cool. That would be probably our biggest boat in terms of displacement. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for most cruising boats, they've got to be within manageable range for shorthanded crew. So we're usually working yeah. up to 50 feet, feet sometimes 55. 55, depending on what people are up to. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I was just going up through your website earlier and I, and I mentioned that you've used uh, other wind vanes. What other uh, wind vanes have you used? And um, how do you think, how, how do I, how do the other ones compare to the hydro vane? And um, yeah. I'm, I try not to be biased when people ask me that, because I try and look at it really from a perspective of someone cruising and what works best for them. Uh, I've sailed with a wind pilot uh, servo pendulum system to the Galapagos um, many, many years ago. Uh, And then I've sailed with some other servo systems, just sort of, you know, smaller, you know, day coastal hopping stuff. And then, of course, most of our mileage is with the hydrovane crossing the Pacific and then our trips down the West Coast. Mm -hmm. Um, It all works. They all work. Yeah, it really depends on the application. I would say the one thing is that servo pendulum units, uh, they're a little more sensitive to the type of boat that it's going on in terms of its type of steering, how mm-hmm. well it can be balanced, how much weather helm the boat has. Uh, whereas the hydrovane's a little bit more forgiving and probably has a broader scope in terms of how many different types of boats it can be mounted on because it's an auxiliary rudder and it's not tied into the main steering. Right. Uh, that would be the biggest difference really. Yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the reasons I chose the hydrovane was because it doesn't have ropes running to my steering wheel, which cut, mm-hmm. which would cut, you know, cut off uh, passage through that side of the cockpit. Um, yeah. You know, which is kind of a small reason, but well, I don't know. Like, I look at it now when we have like two kids, little kids yeah. climbing around the cockpit when we're sailing. And mm-hmm. um, on our Genoa 43, we had two wheels. And I just, I really just could not imagine being on those passages with the wheels kind of flying around, just thinking of little hands getting caught in yeah. them. Well, if they get their hands caught in the hub, you know, you yeah, could, you could take a finger off. So, oh, so gosh, yeah. it's just like having those wheels locked and nothing, no moving parts. <laughs> yeah, and, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, you get with kids, that's that's more important. Yeah. And cockpit Great. space is valuable. When you're at sea, as mm-hmm. you know, you know, that's, that's where you live. So every inch counts. Yeah, especially when the boat is sailing upwind and it's healed. Uh, I always move across the, the high side of the cockpit. Uh, I have an old-fashioned boat with a very narrow cockpit, so um, I always tend to move across the high side of it because it's safer. And I wouldn't yeah. wouldn't have that option otherwise. You know, if I had a control lines going to a wheel, so yeah. it does make quite a bit of difference. It, it does, yeah. Um, and obviously, there's other advantages to the hydrogen. What what other advantages can you speak of? Mm, I mean, really, I guess just the fact that it is an independent rudder. Uh, giving you an emergency rider as well. So if something happened to your main steering, you've got an easy fallback. Um, mm-hmm. I like the fact that it's not tied into your main steering. 
experience that if you had a steering issue, whether it's a quadrant failure or a linkage somewhere, it's not going to affect the the vein. Yep. And then, and also really like for that trip that I did to the Galapagos, uh, we had a lot of light airs downwind, which can be the hardest point of sail for wind vanes. And for servo systems, it can be more challenging because they really rely on boat speed to generate power from the servo. Okay. Whereas the hydrovane doesn't do that because it uses its vane to generate power directly to its own rudder. So there's mm-hmm. no friction that it has to deal with. I could get into more detail and I always like to make sure mm-hmm. that people know that, you know, both systems work and there's not, there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with servo units. It's just um, making sure it's the right fit for your boat and application and where you're sailing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And can you talk about how to uh, use a tiller pilot in conjunction with the, with the, um, with the hydrogen when, when you would do that and, and what and how you would set it up? Yeah, that's actually fantastic to have. And we used ours um, a little bit in the South Pacific. We had a below deck autopilot too, mm-hmm. um, but we had set up, we'd rigged up a tiller pilot to connect onto the hydrogen tiller. And it's really easy to do because of course the hydrogen has its rudder, its shaft, and it has kind of a small black tiller that's that's built into the unit. So all you need to do is, um, you know, disengage the vane to the rudder. So you're 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 kind of using essentially your emergency rudder, and then mm-hmm. you put in an extension um, and set up a tiller pilot to to drive that tiller. So we had it all set up. We hadn't used it all that much, but then we were leaving Fiji. We were leaving Buda Point Marina. And we were using the autopilot to get out um, into the open water. And all of a sudden, the autopilot just kicked us 90 degrees over. And, mm-hmm. you know, we kind of spent a little bit of time trying to figure it out. Uh, but, I thought that would be something yeah. that had been doing was impeding it, but you couldn't find a solution. No, we couldn't. So we just, you know, we already had this tiller pilot kind of set up. We just popped it on and... Um, yeah, we used it for the, for the motoring that we had to do. And then of course, once we were in the trades, we were, we were sailing and, and using the hydrovane as a wind vane, but we never really fixed our main autopilot because no. <laughs> we actually found it worked so well. Um, uh-huh. having a chiller pilot. Yeah. Probably uses a lot less electricity too. A lot less power. Yeah. And, you know, we strongly, strongly advise people to set it up now. Um, have you set one up on your boat? No, I haven't. I have, I actually have two electronic autopilots. Um, one right. one's a wheel pilot that came with the boat, and then I set up. Uh, I installed a pelagic below deck uh, autopilot. Okay. Yeah. But, yeah, we um, we had we were in Mechdom, uh last winter, and they were heading off to do kind of the Pacific Puddle Jump, um, heading from Puerto Vallarta out to French Polynesia to the Marquesas, and. When they were, gosh, they were five days out. They were Lasting near three days, so. four or five, and they were at Clarion, nearby Clarion Island, luckily. And they realized that they had some water ingress. And so they were able to kind of pull over on this very, very remote island and, and anchor. And mm-hmm. they actually realized that, that I'll let you take over here. Oh. <laughs> well, actually, rather... so what had happened is there, the rudder, where the rudder comes up, it's a spade hun rudder boat, and there was no tabbing to sort of support the rudder. And I think there was a bearing or something that was loose. And so the whole rudder tube was moving. It was working. Oh. At sea. 
Yeah. And they started getting water coming in through the fiber loss that was sort of delaminating that area. Oh, no. yeah. And it got pretty scary because they weren't sure how quickly that would accelerate. And so yeah. luckily they were close to Clarion and they were able to you know, get into an anchorage there. And so they actually had to drop the rudder with the help of the Mexican Navy that was on shore mm-hmm. and get the, while the boat's in the water, drop the rudder and get put it on deck and then they were like, well, what are we going to do? And of course, you know, they said, well, we've got the hydrovane. So they ended up steering with the hydrovane five days back, back to, to Puerto Vallarta. With, um, yeah, with the main rudder on deck. And they, you know, the conditions were so that they didn't have a main rudder, just the hydrovane rudder. So they could, you know, get it to work pretty well but the conditions were a little bit tough so they also had to be kind of motoring to get way on and and -hmm. doing some hand steering but of course now their hand steering was with the hydrovane tiller that's you know quite far back and they actually rigged up a neat little system where the tiller was actually he linked it to their wheel yeah so he could move the wheel which moved the hydrovane uh tiller which helped but he still they didn't have a tiller pilot set up and they were just kicking themselves they were kicking themselves because if they had the tiller pilot for the hydrovane rudder they actually would have had like a much easier passage than they did and of course it was hugely challenging um to get back but they did you know they did they made it back which is a pretty amazing feat um and uh, I guess that's another bonus for having the emergency rudder ready to go. Yeah, um, and that and that brings up another question I wanted to ask you. Uh, killer whales have been attacking rudders, mm-hmm. I'm sure you know, off yeah. Portugal and Spain. Yeah. Um, have you heard any, has, have any killer whales uh, attacked hydrovane rudders yet? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they definitely. have. We've, they had, have. we've kind of had a mixed uh, number of scenarios where people have come to us. And initially, we weren't really sure what the best advice was. But really, what we're telling people when they're in that area is to either, either A, have the hydrogen rudder on, but be able to really quickly get back there and remove it if there's yep. orca sightings. Yep. Or just have the hydrogen rudder off through that zone. And yep. then once you get through there, wait for some calm conditions and, you know, try and get the hydrogen rudder back on. But we've had, we've had some orcas that with, were able to basically break the the hydrogen rudder right in half. As well as the main rudder. So. As well as no, the main right. rudder. Um, we recently had a Norwegian family that was going down the coast and the orcas were smashing the main rudder and the guy actually got pinned. They, they rigged up their emergency rudder after the first attack and then the orcas were hitting the rudder and he got pinned against the combing uh from the tiller golly yeah Yeah, it's pretty crazy stuff we've heard all kinds of stories and it's amazing how often Mm -hmm. it's happening which is but i guess what we are advising now is because you want to keep your emergency rudder in that kind of risky area for the emergency so we are kind of telling people to to keep the the hydrogen rudder off so that if if there is an issue with the main rudder, you've got another one. Fall back. Um, whereas usually that's not our advice, but it seems like this is a very uh, unique situation that's happening. Yeah, um, that was my plan. I, I uh, obviously didn't go across the Atlantic this year, but inst- instead of heading back south, I was planning on going to the Azores and the Canaries. Okay. And I thought if I go to, if I end up going to Portugal, I thought I would uh, mm-hmm. take take my hydrogen rudder off. Yeah, just uh, for that. At least the most risky area. So yeah. I at least yeah. have a have a rudder um, totally. yeah i mean the rudder on windflower is is huge you know three 
it's, it's extremely heavy and they'd have a, they'd have a mouthful if they tried to eat that <laughs> yeah. sucker, but, but I guess they're pretty yeah. big too. So <laughs> they, they, it's amazing what they've damaged. Like we had an email from a Swan, I think it was 37 or 38 older Sparkman Steven style, mm-hmm. super robust boat. We, you know, I'm sure the rudder was really well built, but the rudder was just crushed. It was like, you know, disintegrated yeah. in half. It was, I guess you, you re- quickly realize the size and power of those animals. <laughs> Yeah, there's no stopping them. Whatever they want to do, it's going to happen. Mammals. Have you have you heard any uh, theories, hypotheses about why they're attacking boats? Mm, um, I mean, just from the reading we've done online, but it certainly seems like it started at the beginning well, actually, of the pandemic. Actually, so. what, I, we met a guy mm-hmm. just recently in Greece who was telling us he, he was on a catamaran and he got, you weren't there for that conversation, okay. but he got attacked by, both his rudders were basically broken he was saying that a big part of what he was doing some research on it is it's the fishing that's mm-hmm. the fishermen and the way they've been treating the the whales and oh behavior. but yeah they, they had the oceans to kind of to themselves for for a period and then yeah something has shifted in the way that their shifted. little ecosystem is working and it, it's causing it but who knows it's weird wow they're, they're angry we're taking all their fish Mm. Yeah, possibly, or just yeah, or or possibly fishermen have been aggressive towards him. Is that what you think might happen? Yeah, I think that was that was sort of his conclusion was that the aggression that they've experienced in the past has. Yeah, we're certainly not experts, but um, yeah, what, is, I mean, what I, I find yeah. so intriguing about it is that you know it seemed to have started with this this one or maybe two whales, and then the the behavior spread. Um, mm. I mean, now there's pods up in Biscay that are doing the same thing. So Wow, it's not just one pod anymore, huh? Not, from what I understand, it's not. Um, and it's quite, you know, the, the area that it was happening and where the attacks were happening um, expanded quite quickly. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, yeah, I hope it doesn't expand worldwide. Good grief. Yeah. Gosh. But then it's also interesting because we were at the start of the Golden Globe race mm-hmm. in August, and mm-hmm. all those boats were heading out into Biscay and basically due south, pretty close to where the orcas were. And it was, I mean, yeah. people were talking about it, saying, you know, what do we do? And again, we were advising about, you know, hydrogen rudder. If you see them and they're, or they're getting close, yeah. to you take it off because you need that. Yeah. Um, but there was very, almost almost no one. I think Elliot saw some whales. He wasn't even sure if they were orcas. And that's about it. No other boat reported any issues. It could have been that they were further uh, west than normal. Mm-hmm. but They weren't really. But I think just the percentage of boats in that area, you know, there's a lot of boats. So the percentage of attacks is actually quite low. Mm-hmm. You're not guaranteed to see them by any means. Yeah. Well, so you guys got some great publicity from the 2018 Golden Globe race. Uh, yeah. I imagine that I imagine Jean-Luc Van de Heed winning the race with a hydrogen in his boat uh, did well yeah, for was, your, your your business. It was yeah, really it was, fantastic. It was cool sure. to see. We really got hooked on just following the whole event, and um, you know, we're just amazed at what these guys, these people do, you know. And and Jean-Luc yeah. had used hydrogen for many years, you know, for for lots of his sailing, so. He's yeah, we were, we were certainly um, excited when he chose to have a hydrovane for the race. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and then just did did a very good race. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was actually that was one of the reasons I chose it as well um, mm-hmm. because of him. You know, I followed that race. Yeah. And there was a lot of talk during that race about 
hydrant about uh, wind vane autopilots and which ones worked and which ones didn't. Yeah. Mm. And, uh, you know, obviously some of them failed, quite a few of them failed. They did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, some, some brands didn't do quite as well as, as the hydrovane uh, that became clear. Yeah. So yeah. Well, it's, it's especially interesting for us because there's actually no other type of intense comparison that you will ever find, you know, to put, to put yeah. 10 boats, five to 10 boats in the Southern ocean, all relying solely on wind vanes. I mean, yeah. that really quickly tells you whether your product is good and whether it works or not, because yeah. the, the Southern ocean will hash out any issues. That's for sure. Yeah. So uh, how, how many boats uh, this year are using them in the Golden Globe race? Uh, so we were at the start and there was, was it 16 boats at the start and 13 out of 16 had hydro veins. 13 out of 16. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. with people st still in it, um, do you know which ones are using on, uh, which ones are using it? Uh, you know, there's only about nine people left or eight maybe. Yeah, all but two. All but two. Yeah, yeah they are like Kristen and um, Guy Waits. Is it Guy Waits that's in the front? Guy Waits is in the back. Uh, Simon oh, Kerwin's in the front. Guys in the back. Simon Kerwin, yeah. So Simon and Kristen, the two lead boats, they both got hydro veins. Avalash has a different system, a servo unit. Uh-huh. And... And Jeremy Bagshaw has a different unit. Yeah, okay. Have... No, he doesn't have a hydro oh, okay. I don't yeah. remember what so he has. So it's Avalash and Jeremy who don't have hydro veins. So. Okay. Yeah. I know Elliot does and that. Ian Herbert Jones. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And Guy Waits. Guy Waits, and, Arnod. And Arnod. Yep. Cool. Yeah. So that's, well, um, um, things have been going pretty well there too. Um, so yeah, we were excited to see Elliot underway again. And, yeah. Oh gosh, me too. That was, uh, that was, uh, yeah. yeah he's, he's a, he's a friend of mine. I, I met him in the Bahamas oh, really? a couple of years ago. Really? Yeah. I met him in the Bahamas when he was sailing as Pearson 28. He's trading. Oh, cool. And, uh, he had the smallest boat in Hatchet Bay. So I thought, uh, I always pick, you know, I always like to meet people, but I always pick them sure. by their boats. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go meet the guy on the smallest boat. So that was yeah. Elliot. He, he also had a surfboard on deck. So nice. Uh, nice. <laughs> yeah, we went surfing and spearfishing together and uh, he became a friend and he's been on the podcast a few times. Oh, that's so cool. Uh, cool. And I, ran yeah, into him. I just yeah, love his with it all. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. He, he was also doing his refit in St. Augustine um, last year and, Earlier right. this year, this spring, and I was there then. Um, yeah, was that only this spring? My goodness, that was this spring. He was his boat was horrible. Yeah, yeah it was. It was. <laughs> I thought there's no way he's going to make the start. But, oh, yeah. I know. But the next thing you know, he was he was sailing towards Massachusetts, and he had some he had some wind vane that he had built, and he was yeah, like he was talking to me, and he said, "Paul, I just I don't know, man. This thing doesn't work. What <laughs> what do you think I should do? Should I just should I just uh, you know I don't have any money." Uh, mm -hmm. should I just ask for money and, and just buy, you know, a wind vane and what should I get? Should I get a hydro vane like you have? And I'm like, yeah, man, that's the, if you're going to do this race, that's exactly what you need to do. Like, don't, yeah. There's, no, yeah. there's no trying to sail around the world on something you put together, you know, no it kidding. doesn't work. Yeah. No, kidding. no I, I remember Richard and I were talking to him right when he was installing the hydro vane. And he's like, he's like, man, I got to be at the start over there in like 40 days. I'm screwed. <laughs> I'm like, just, just, I'm like, just get that hydrogen on and just see what you can do. And he had a good Atlantic crossing and there he was. So. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Um, he, he's the kind of guy that has, he just, he just has good luck. Um, yeah. You know, good things yeah. happen to him. Like, Keeps like going. one day in the, one day in the Bahamas, he came over to my boat about 
it must have been three o'clock in the afternoon, you know, the sun. We had we had at most four hours of sunlight left. And he says, Hey, uh, you want to go surf James Point? That's seven miles away. It's a hitchhike. It's a seven mile hitchhike. And the last mile and a half is a bad dirt road that you have to walk. And I just thought logistically that it's impossible. Like you can't hitchhike that far, surf and hitchhike back before dark. So I said, <laughs> but I didn't want to discourage him. So I said, no, uh, I, I don't think I want to go do that today. And, and his boat wasn't, his dinghy wasn't back. You know, when I went to bed at night and I thought, oh man, he's sleeping on somebody's, on someone's couch, like some local's yeah. couch somewhere. Like, you know, he's in trouble. Well, it turns out he did make it. He he went out hitchhiking, immediately got picked up by by a church bus. Huh. Church bus drove him all the way there, all the way out the dirt road, dropped him off, and then said, how are you getting back? And he said, oh, I'll hitchhike back. And the guy said, You're, it's going to be after dark, and they're not, no one's going to pick you up. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'll come back and get you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so the, preacher, the preacher was the preacher that let him surf for an hour or two and came back, picked him up, drove him all the way back. To <laughs> Turns out that was his birthday, too. That's why he wanted to surf. But, but that's that's the kind of guy he is. Like, yeah. he just has he's a good guy and people recognize yeah. that and they do think yeah. they help him out and he just has good luck. Yeah. So, so because of that one incident, I thought, well, maybe, you know, he might make it. He might make the start. It might actually yeah. work out for him. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully his good luck will hold and he'll be able to, I hope so. you know, at least make it to Hobart. <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. Which, you know, even in making it as far as any of them have is pretty amazing feat. It sure is. So, yeah. I've never sailed that far, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. So what about if, if you don't, are you guys, and we'll cut this, I'll, I'll edit this right out if you don't want to talk about it, but uh, are you willing to talk about uh, Damien's hydrogen and his troubles? Oh, yeah, for yeah, sure. For sure. Um, it's important for people to know. Yeah, okay. I mean, I, I don't know if you're completely familiar with, with what happened, but um, he made some modifications, actually, to the, the shaft and rudder connection. So mm -hmm. um, they they had an idea, they tried it, and it didn't work. Um, yeah. Drilling some extra holes into the bottom of the shaft. They essentially um, just created a weak point because the yeah. hole that they drilled, the extra hole in the shaft to secure the rudder, was right at the same point where there's a keyway. There's a little nub for a keyway on the on the yep. new shafts, and so not only do you have one hole going all the way through, there's another hole at that same spot that's going halfway through the shaft. So suddenly you got a shaft that's probably half the strength of it or less of you know what it's mm. supposed to be. Oh jeez! I mean, we've literally never had a shaft breaking. Yeah, yeah. Like not, never like not that. the we've, super duplex shaft. We've seen them bend, you know, under great load, but and and normally that's like a whale or a dock or or something, mm -hmm. um, not just normal use, but yeah, just kind of breaking in half. So it was it was pretty clear to us right away, and and as all the information came out that it yeah. it was due to those modifications. Mm -hmm. um, and then you know we just feel he he's he's such an amazing sailor, and the fact that he could go and put his spare shaft on, the fact that he even had one was was um yeah. tremendous so i think he was feeling good you know everyone was feeling good about it um he had a whole complete extra hydrovane on yeah board. so to install yeah. that at sea was, wow. was admirable <laughs> and i just couldn't believe yeah. Um, so, yeah yeah absolutely he, he's a warrior i mean the fact yeah. that he was able to put that all together and come over i think that the the main issue is just you know maybe overthinking it a bit in terms yeah. of trying to make something that's already good better you know that mm -hmm. old saying if it ain't broke don't yeah. fix it is um 
Yeah. There's, there's reason behind that. Yeah. Because they had made a small alteration to the second shaft as well, just in the way that the rudder was going to hold on. They weren't using the locking pin that, you know, you know, the locking pin that holds the rudder, your rudder on. Um, Weren't actually using that. Yeah. And then didn't have it tied off properly. So I I just, I, I cannot imagine how he would have felt when he saw that the rudder was just gone, you know, um, mm-hmm. must have been absolutely devastating. So we really have, have kind of felt hard for him yeah. um, in the way that his race ended. But uh, I'm sure he'll be back. You yeah. know, he's a, he's a pretty amazing sailor. And it does yeah. also sort of reinforce how important self-steering is for that race. Mm-hmm. And I think in the first 2018 race, that was a big problem for a lot of the races. They just didn't put enough focus thought on and it. focus on mm-hmm. soft steering i mean you're asking something a piece of gear to steer for over 200 yeah. days and this you know around yeah. the world it's, yeah. it's massive and i can also tell like even jean Luc. i don't know if you know this but in the first rate race he had also looked at our rudder locking pin you know that's been used for over 40 years to keep the rudder on he looked at it and said hey that doesn't look strong enough so he also had his own pin made um he didn't That's change right. the whole location or anything but he did have a pin that was in there holding the rudder on and that broke um yep. when he was heading heading south in the atlantic mm-hmm. uh so he replaced it with you know the pin that we normally use and that held up for the rest of, of the race but you know i can understand because those pins can kind of suffer some metal fatigue but the reality is that's normally when you're motoring um, when you're locking it off and motoring, you want to mm-hmm. have a spare one. But these guys, they're never motoring. <laughs> right. So there's absolutely no reason it shouldn't last uh, the entire way around the world. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. If, if you don't have a, a good reason to modify something, you better uh, yeah. better off leaving it alone. Yeah. You certainly yeah. Learned, learned that lesson. Yeah. 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 Well, totally I, I, hope he does, I hope he does the next race. And... Yeah, we'll be rooting for him for sure. Yeah, yeah we, he was kind of our top pick actually for yeah, we, winning the race. So we all oh, yeah. had Ray within the office of you know who we thought was going to win the race, and I think Danny was top pick all the way around. Yeah, he was the obvious choice. Yep, and and he proved it catching yeah. up with everybody oh, yeah. after having to, having oh, yeah. to go back to Lasav and coming out. Yeah. yeah, totally, totally. And you know, with the the mounting bolt issues, that's kind of something people do run into from time to time. You gotta. Make sure those bolts are lined up lined properly, up properly when, you, yeah. when you. Yeah. What on. was the issue? What was the issue there? What what broke the first time we around? Wanted, the, the mounting bolt, so holding the flange to the transom. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it, it it was bolts that we didn't supply. Mm-hmm. Um, so something that they used, and it must have been an alignment issue or something. Yeah. I mean, we never saw photos on the inside or were able to see on the inside of the transom. Yeah, the but if those through bolts are not coming in at a you know ninety degree angle of the transom and you don't have something on the inside to pick up that angle difference, it can put a lot of stress on the bolts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the only thing we can think yeah. of, or just using, you know, bolts maybe that had, that were poor quality or subpar quality. I mean, I'm sure that their team knows what they're doing and they would definitely be using 316 bolts yeah. and the yeah. best of the best. Yeah. So it's hard to imagine that, but. Yeah. yeah. I remember I went, I went to great, Great pains to install that uh, backing plate on the inside of the transom, and I had to build a, uh, I had to build a fiberglass, you know, a flat fiberglass surface on the inside of there. Okay, yeah, yeah. good and, for uh, you. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a, it's quite a challenge. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a hard yeah. to access area. The way I did it is I I built it up with with uh, fiberglass cloth, 
and got it fairly, you know, got it somewhere close to flat, but not all the way. And then I drilled it and then I put the bolts through and I put the plate on and left it loose and then packed in a whole bunch of thickened epoxy yeah. and then, t- and then yeah. tightened it down just a little bit. So that plate mashed up against the, the, the gooey thick epoxy and made its own, yeah. made its own surface that fitted exactly. And that worked. Yeah. So far, that's, so far, so good. Right. So far, so good. Yeah, that's the right way to do it. And then we always tell people, you know, check your bolts. Check the bolts. Yeah. You know, once you get mm-hmm. under load at sea, things can work a bit. And um, if there's any doubt, too, you can always throw an extra set of nylocks on the inside, uh, just to give you that sort of double protection that it's not going to work loose. Yeah, I think I, I definitely have nylock uh, nuts on the inside. Um, but anyway. Uh, mm-hmm. let's let's yeah. get let's talk a little bit about um use of the hydrovane this is a question i'm i'm uh, curious about i've got i got my own system now for for setting course and setting the vein and the wheel and the sail trim but i'm curious if you guys have have a, a sort of a system worked out uh that you can tell talk about like for setting the course of like say you have that your vein isn't on yet you're sailing and yeah. you're, you're ready to yeah. you're ready to, you're ready to set the vein, or if you're making a major course change, what what are all the steps you go through with the wheel, the sails, and the hydro yeah. vein to set it yeah, up? It's a good, it's a good question because uh, some people really do sort of overlook that. And really, at the end of the day, and I'm, you, I'm sure you know as much, it really comes down to sail trim and boat balance. Like when you when you're getting the vein set up and you're on the wheel and you're feeling what the boat feels. It, you should be able to let go of the wheel or tiller or whatever you've got. And the boat should want to track in that same direction. Mm-hmm. If the boat wants to take off one way or the other, you'll have a hard time steering. It'll have a hard time steering. So mm-hmm. as we always tell people, the hydrovane becomes the teacher. Um, don't overpower it. And so what I normally do is get the boat trimmed out. Usually there's a little bit of weather helm, uh, depending on the boat. But like on our, you know, we would have a couple degrees lock off the wheel off to one side, depending on the point of sail. On some points of sail, we'd have no helm. And then I would at the same time be using the remote course setting line to get the vane into the wind where I thought the wind was coming from. Mm-hmm. And then let's say we're on a beam reach. So the vane leading edge is 90 degrees to the wind. And then I would go back. Leading edge is into the wind. That's it. And then so you'd have the boat so that the boat is tracking nicely. And then I would basically just pull the ratio knob into the engaged position, which is the far left is, is your starting point. And then just watch the vein. If, mm-hmm. if the vein stands tall and it's happy and it's not going straight over to one side or the other, then you know that it's engaged on the right point of sail and you don't have an excessive amount of weather helm or lee helm if the vane immediately wants to flop over and push the boat in one direction then you have to adjust the remote course setting line to get the leading edge into the wind and then reach in the sails again yep yeah that's that sounds about about like i I went through when i was taking notes today i went through in my head all the steps i go through um Mm -hmm. so i'll go ahead i'll tell you what mine are um, (laughs) yes please (laughs) uh so i I steer to the new course and then like, let's say I'm doing a major course change. I'll steer onto the new course. I will, and I'm single-handed mind. Yeah. So I'll, I'll also sort of roughly trim the sails just kind of by eye. Um, then I'll set the autopilot and adjust it to the exact course I want to go on. Mm-hmm. Then I'll much more carefully trim the sails with the, the head sail first, let it out till it loves, pull it in till it doesn't. 
do the same thing with uh, the stay sail and then the main. And then the autopilot still steering, I'll adjust the wind vane so it's uh, into the wind. And then I'll turn the autopilot off and hand steer for a moment until I find the sweet spot with, uh, with the wheel. And then I'll lock the wheel off and turn yep. the vane on, and then I'll fine tune the vane to the proper course. So that's that's yeah. my system. Yeah, basically I, just like I, yours, I but, you I'm, but I'm using it. autopilot. Yeah, and that's yeah, exactly. important. And I think that to have the autopilot, uh, just important. Well, sometimes you're getting set up proper it's, steps, it's, whatever whatever it is, they work for you. It's like just important yeah. to go through all those steps, um, and and to know. That, yeah. that your wheel's yeah. not locked off the center. You know, one person who just bought one, uh, yeah. who just bought a Hydromane was saying, Paul, I can't get it to work. You know, I, I put my wheel to center and <laughs> and it's always wanting to steer. And mm -hmm. I'm like, whoa, 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 back up. Like, the wheel, not wheel to center. Yeah. That's not part yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I would say we sometimes also will engage ours before we've locked off the wheel because then you can kind of feel what's happening. Wh what's happening and then you can feel even better, like, if there is any lehan then you can kind of lock it off after the main's engaged okay yeah usually, usually there's a little period there where you play you got, around with yeah, things playing around a bit. You know, between easing the sheets and yeah. moving the main wheel uh, mm -hmm. and moving the vein there's a, there's a, usually a little period of sort of tweaking to get things just right but i also always try to tell people is you got to sort of just chill out a bit and let things happen yeah. and see what's going on because i do get you know a lot of yeah. people like get a little bit antsy about things and with autopilots, we're kind of corrupted because it's so precise in terms of I want to steer a course of you know 170 and it's going to steer 170 and that's mm -hmm. it. Whereas the wind vanes are always steering to the wind, so the parent wind is always changing. So mm -hmm. you might fluctuate a bit more, but the boat is always going to be trimmed out and sailing efficiently. So yeah, you yep. are a very calm sailor. Well, you do oh, let things nice. settle I a compliment. out. You do, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, so you're patient. You know, I think it is important to be a patient and just kind of, yeah, see how, yeah, it's, you, you, you're not just going there and kind of setting the sails and boom, it's on, you know, yeah. like it, you got to kind of you gotta feel tweak. it out and tweak it a bit. Yeah. So Right. And just like you said, I watch the vane and if it keeps on wanting to steer the boat to port, then I'll help it out with the wheel. I'll move the wheel a little bit yeah. to port and lock it off again and yeah. watch it for a while. And, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah. And I would say the most common thing when people are having issues getting it to steer, you know, efficiently is it's really two things. It's either they they have a head sole that's way too big yeah. and it's causing a lot of weather helm and the boat is not balanced properly. So I, I'm always mm -hmm. a big fan of just get that big head sole, that deck sweeping head sole, cut it down, put a high clue on it. You'll have way less weather helm. Yeah, you're going to lose a little bit of sail area, but at the end of the day, you're not trying to race. You're trying to keep the boat comfortable. Yep. Um, so big, big head soles can be problematic and just not properly balanced, meaning I get a lot of people who say, well, downwind, we just can't get it to work and win on win. I said, well, or reaching. And I said, well, what are you doing with your head sole? You know, what, what kind of pole do you have on there? And are you pulling up? And they say, what do you mean pole? I don't have a pole. And I said, well, you got to have a pole for downwind sailing and offshore just for stabilizing the sail and stopping the slatting. But it adds a huge amount of balance to the boat as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we usually keep a pole on our head sole, at least on our two monohulls, <laughs> up to 
say almost up to a beam reach. We still yeah. have the pole out offshore, offshore mm -hmm. and then as soon as it gets beam or forward, then we shake the pole. But it's kind of a crazy concept that we don't need to build a pole anymore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's going to take some getting used it to. Is. Yeah, and let's talk about yeah. uh, downwind downwind sailing. So you mentioned the pole. Do you have any other tips for uh, downwind sailing? I mean, I can't say enough good things about a good pole setup. Yeah. Like we, our whole way across the Pacific, wing on wing, head so pulled out to the windward side. We keep the the course, you know, ten or fifteen degrees off of our stern, depending on what point of sail we were on. We would we would get the pole out like while the boat was at anchor, like before yeah. we were even heading off in the passage. Oh yeah, you know you're going to use it. Just go ahead and set it up. Yeah, and we use figure out what tack we're going to be on. So, I just can't imagine yeah, I can't sailing imagine. without a pole. Yeah. An interesting um, issue that comes up for some boats is that a lot of modern boats have these hugely mm -hmm. swept back spreaders. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't allow you to actually really e efficiently go down, dead downwind. You don't want to go dead downwind, but, you know, deeply downwind with white mm -hmm. sails. So you end up having to... You can go in on wing, but you end up having a very small head sole, and then you have to fall. The, the wind is, you know, at least 30 degrees yeah. off of your stern. You end up kind of reaching everywhere, um, which is not a problem, but it's just a reality of big swept back spreaders. Yeah. Or you're yep. using a spinnaker earlier than, uh, than you normally would. Mm -hmm. And uh, you mentioned on your website, What's something I've never done using the electronic autopilot and the hydrovane at the same time and in, in large seas, uh, big, I think you were saying in, in heavy downwind conditions. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's really only the, the time that we normally really only recommend that is if you're in sort of real squally conditions and the mm -hmm. the winds are fluctuating a lot mm -hmm. and you just need that extra power because of course, if the wind increases 10 knots or 50 knots and the apparent wind changes, it's going to throw everything and out of balance. you haven't reefed down yet, you know. And yep. so the vane, the vane is just not set up for that. You know, you need to adjust everything. So that's a situation where you can run the autopilot yeah. in very low sensitivity. So it's basically on standby 80% of the time. And then wow. that last 20%, when the winds really start to pipe up out of the, out of the blue, the autopilot kicks in and deals with things until you have the chance to sort of mm -hmm. get back there. So like we had a really squally passage from the Tuamotos to the Marquesas and we had 24 hours of basically just constant squalls. And what I actually ended up doing was just almost frilling in the head so completely just a you know, small little bit out and just let the main way, way out. And then I, we would just run with the, the squalls, uh, you know, so we had still had good boat speed. And then as soon as a squall came through, then we would unfurl the headsail and just leave the main as it always is with a, a reef or two reefs in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And storm tactics. Do you have any advice for storm tactics with the hydrovane? Yeah, um, I would say if you're going to hove two, um, make sure that the hydrovane is either engaged, yeah. uh, which actually should help you hove to. It should help bring the, the bow around a little bit more because it means that if it's engaged, the rudder basically goes hard over and wants to try and sail you back into the wind, you know, depending mm -hmm. on what tack you're on. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's if you're not using the vein, just let the rudder free trail. Uh, if you lock the hydrovein rudder in that situation, you'll you'll most likely bend the shaft or you know do some serious damage. Okay, because uh, the loads are really high. If you're running with it, I mean the normal sort of uh, storm tactics come into play in terms of slow the boat down and drogues or whatever you're doing, and then um, for reaching hydrovein. Hydrovein can also be engaged in that scenario. So in most situations, you can use it to your advantage. Um, but just the, the main warning is don't lock the hydrovein rudder uh, okay. if you're not using it. If you're heaving to let the let the hydrovein rudder free, either free trail or or you were saying engage it. If it was engaged, would you have it trying to steer you upwind the whole time like your main rudder is? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's yeah, it's just kind of an extension of your of your main rudder, just doing the same thing essentially. Okay. And it seems like what we learned from the 2018 Golden Globe, as far as heavy weather is concerned, is that uh, at least the message I took home was that it's best to engage uh, your wind vane autopilot and you know minimize your sails and just continue sailing. Even in the worst yeah, conditions. I guess it depends on where in the world you where in the yeah. world you are. We've hove to a couple times. Um, ironically, one of the times we really needed to <laughs> was up here in the Pacific Northwest in the winter. We had like yeah. forty knots of wind and oh yeah, wind on current, it was not comfortable. Not cool. But um, yeah, running with it, I guess, is also boat dependent and where the swells are coming from. I know some seasoned offshore sailors, like you know John Neal, was saying that forereaching is a great mm-hmm. storm tactic, mm-hmm. which I agree with. Mm-hmm. Um, but right, I, think I guess it what really I just, just said, depends. yeah, and I guess what I just said appeals yeah, to the yeah, Golden Globe race. You're in the Southern Ocean. Yeah. You're in a race. Yeah. You're in a exactly. small boat. Uh, yeah, I think John Luke was he was just running with it. Yeah, from what I recall. I think most of the sailors were just running with it and trying to slow the boat down yeah. and just be, if you're concerned at all, if you're in, you know, breaking wave scenarios and the boat really wants to round up, you, you just got to be near the helm. You yeah. know, let the mm-hmm. vane steer. And if you are in an extreme scenario where things are getting just too aggressive, then you got to yeah, be there. Running, you got to yeah. be there to react. Yeah. Yeah. I think I remember someone saying that, uh, Heaving too is is a great tactic until the waves get so bad they can they can knock you over in that position, you know, which they might be in the Southern Ocean. Yeah. 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 yeah I, mean, I, I actually I can't, thought about it in much detail. Yeah, it's something I think about. Although you uh, know, I just, just I avoid heavy weather all I can. I, I still haven't been in any heavy, really heavy weather. Yeah. I've never I've never been in anything bad enough to need to heave to. Um, so I, I'm not speaking yeah. from experience here. I'm speaking from just what I've what I hear. And, and read yeah, and, I, and I always like to ask people what their opinions are on it because because the more we know about it the more we talk about it the less we are afraid of it yeah exactly exactly yeah. yeah well and also on the flip side people spend so much time thinking about sailing in bad weather and, and really what you really also <laughs> want to be focusing on is the amount of time you're sailing in light airs because yeah. that's a lot of the that's what you can deal with. And that can be harder to deal with than heavy weather. Cause it's just, um, yeah, that's what all the golden gets... globe racers say. They say, give me a, give me a storm over a, over a, a calm. <laughs> yeah. Especially when they spend like two weeks in calms trying to cross the equator like this year. I looked awful. Oh yeah. my goodness. Yeah. I, I go crazy. We were having a good laugh at some of Elliot's tweets. I have to say. 
Yeah, yeah, he got he got really stuck in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, when that happens to yeah. me, I just turn on the motor and get on out of there. But, uh, Absolutely, have, you know. They didn't have that option. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Going yeah. a little kooky. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, uh, you guys have any any new features or uh, new products or new partners you want to talk about? Not really, in terms of you know the Hydromat itself, we're constantly refining and sort of improving where we where we see fit, but we don't want to tamper too much with you know something that's proven and works. We yep. have our um, we have our brackets we designed for the Wattensy hydro generator to sit on the hydro vane. Um, oh, cool. That's been quite popular for for a lot of people that are wanting to add some hydro generation because you're not having to drill extra holes in the in the hull. You can just basically attach the Wattensy onto our brackets, and it gives you an easy mounting point, and then you can remove it when you're in port and and stow it somewhere. So that's kind of been a nice addition. Um, and then we also have the XT vein, you know, the extendable vein that we came out with a few years ago, which is extendable. So you can move the whole vein up and down to increase the sensitivity and power of and the we, vein. And we do a tiller extension now. So just as we were talking about having an extension for the tiller with a little hole to put the um, pre-drilled pre -drilled hole for the um, tiller pilot, uh, what do they yeah. call it, oh, nipple okay. or whatever. So. Yeah. yeah, so that's kind of an easy add-on for people um, if they want to do that. Okay, yeah, you're talking about a little short, a little short handle for the fits into the the tiller. Um, yeah, 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 exactly. Because you, you need to have the tiller pilot mounted 18 inches from the shaft yeah. pivot. Yep. So it just gets you to the right length. It doesn't work for every install because sometimes you got backstays or you know things in the rail that you need to or things in the way that you need to accommodate. Yeah. But um, it's a good starting point a good for starting someone point. doing that project. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I first got my hydrovane, but and before I'd even used it once, uh, when I was still on the hard, uh, I figured I needed a, a tiller extension. And so I went and bought a three foot piece of three quarter uh, all thread, gal mm -hmm. galvanized all thread. It actually fits in there just mm -hmm. right. Uh, Perfect. But, it's three, yeah, but it's three feet long. It's a, it's like way longer than necessary. I, you know, I realized that. <laughs> but yeah. but it works. Uh, it's the only, the only time I've used yeah. it is is uh, to help me back up. So my boat's got a long full keel, and it doesn't steer in reverse really at all. Um, yeah. But but the hydrovane rudder will steer in reverse. So I've been using I've yeah. used it that way to get in and out of marinas a couple of times um, with my with my all thread my three foot all thread tiller extension yeah that's that's cool i i know um that's a question we get a lot from people saying you know it's gonna leaving the rudder on is gonna hurt my turning when i'm in the marinas and i always say well you can actually use it to your advantage it's and a bit of coordination we, but... we went out on a boat at the golden globe in 2018 that had a, a tiller extension on the hydrovane and then he actually had two bungee cords lashed to either side of the tiller and what it allowed him to do is when he's maneuvering is to, he could still use the hydrovane rudder to go hard over when you're reversing or maneuvering. Mm -hmm. But when he lets go of the rudder and he doesn't have the time or the reaction yeah. to deal with the emergency, the hydrovane tiller, it would always automatically go back to center. Okay. Um, and then he used the main tiller. It, it made the going back and forth between the hydrovane tiller and the, and the main rudder, or main steering a lot easier. Um, yeah, I, I like that idea. I think I'm going to do it because it's it's too much. Uh, it takes you know it takes me 
more time than I want to spend to pull that pen out and put it back in. If I'm going to, when, when yeah, I'm already yeah, in a marina, when I, when I don't have any time to do any, anything at all. Uh, we can so, send yeah. you some pictures of that setup. Yeah, it works well. Yeah. I'll definitely check that out. Or actually I saw a picture. There's a picture on your website of, of that, that setup. Oh, good. Oh, okay. good. good to know. Yeah, I, I saw <laughs> it somewhere. Put it up there. Yeah. I think it's in the frequently asked questions. Which is, I just discovered that today oh, okay, as I was good. taking notes for this this interview. I discovered the <laughs> frequently asked questions section of your website, which is excellent. It's got all <laughs> kinds of, of great tips about everything I've been asking you today, really, all this stuff. If anybody's listening and wants, wants to wants more of this, uh, it's it's all there yeah. on the website. The the, uh, the heavy weather advice. Good, I'm glad someone downwind. read it. <laughs> yeah, I read it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm glad because we, we put a lot of effort into that and I, sometimes I forget that we have answers there, that yeah. questions that we get. So. Yeah, that's a great section. That's it, hydrovane.com. Um, anything else you guys want to talk about that I haven't asked you? In, mm. term, in terms of the hydrovane, I mean... Um, anything, yeah. Anything, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think our big excitement right now is just getting into the whole multi-hall world yeah. of getting wind vanes out there on multi-halls because... Um, like I said earlier, it's it's just been a bit of a misconception and we're just getting so much good positive feedback. And there are a lot of sailors that are shifting to multi-hulls. So it's it's a big yeah. part of the market now. We're excited mm -hmm. to have firsthand experience instead of just, you know, feedback from other customers. So, yeah, it's definitely going to be our first project when we head back to Greece in uh, in April. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, that is that is exciting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Having a wind vane on it. I mean, it's just such a wonderful thing to have on your boat it, it changed my uh changed everything for me I, I used to spend all you know if i was awake i was steering my boat before i got the hydrovene i was i was i steered a lot uh so it's just so relaxing now to, to not wow. have to do that and um and now i can spend more time yeah. doing yeah. doing everything else besides steering which there's plenty else to do yeah. uh, including reading i, I spent a lot I, of time I think reading books <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome I think the most important part of adding a good vein to your mm -hmm. boat is really, it's the confidence. It's for yeah. me, like I just have so much more confidence heading over the horizon when I know that I have that for so many reasons, but it's one of the few things that you can add to your boat that is not dependent on other systems. You know, an mm -hmm. autopilot is dependent on so many things, you know, proper charging systems supported battery voltage properly functioning electronics the unit itself has to be functioning properly so there's a lot of things that can go wrong there whereas with any mechanical self-steering system it's they're pretty straightforward to fix if you've got an issue and um and they steer well the windier get they get the better the better they perform so and for short-handed i mean i would say we used to sail double-handed but mm -hmm. now that we have the boys on board you know a lot of what i do is you know keeping them occupied so will does a lot of sailing by himself over the past few years to be honest um mm -hmm. when we're down below uh so just you know making it all pretty user-friendly um easy boat to sail is most important yeah. absolutely great well i'll tell you what it's been a, a really fun conversation and uh I'm glad uh, yeah. you had this, this chance to do this, and I appreciate your time, and I appreciate your product as well and your service. Thank you so much, Paul. Yeah, it's been a pleasure talking with you, and um, I hope yeah, we share we're an anchorage. I hope we share an anchorage. <laughs>
Me too. I'll be, you know, uh, I'll be in the Bahamas this winter and Panama, Bocas del Toro, Panama next summer. And um, I'll, cool. you know, I'll probably be in both of those places back and forth for the rest of my life. <laughs> I love them both. Oh, amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah, we've heard good good things about, about those. So we look forward to checking them out. We've got a few other spots in between, but we'll get there. Yeah, there's lots of spots in between too. So what's the name of your boat? <laughs> uh, her name is Kaya. Kaya, Kaya 2 of Vancouver. Kaya yeah. 2, Vancouver. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm Windflower. Yeah. yeah. Keep keep an eye out. Awesome. And, uh, we'll we'll share an anchorage and have have a cup of coffee, and have some have some lobster. Absolutely. In the Bahamas. Button snapper. <laughs> yeah. Sounds great. It's, it's hard to imagine right now. Yeah. We're <laughs> feeling very cold this moment. <laughs> uh, I'm I've been cold since uh, since the spring when I left Florida to go to Canada. I've been I've literally been cold ever yeah. since. And I'm, I'm so lo- looking forward to uh, getting back to. Getting back to the Caribbean, getting back to the Bahamas, oh, which is coming up soon. Warm water. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Good. Okay. Well, yeah. Nice talking to you, Paul. I appreciate Good it. Travels. And uh, hopefully we'll see you. If we don't see you at the next Annapolis boat show, it'll be somewhere down the road. All right. Sounds good. Thanks again. Great talking to you guys. And I'll um, okay. I'll put uh, Bye, I'll have this up in a couple of weeks and I'll have a link to Hydrovane on the podcast show notes page. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks a lot. All right. Take care. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that one as much as I did. I sure do enjoy these interviews. One of the reasons is because every week I get to make a new friend, this time too. Will and Sarah Curry, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, you can find uh, information about Hydrovane at hydrovane.com. That's H-Y-D-R-O-V-A-N-E.com. Uh, I'll have that link as well as photos on the podcast show notes page at paultrammell.com slash podcast. You can click on season six and see all the photos and links. Uh, You'll also find on every page of my website at the top and bottom a link to Patreon where you can support the podcast financially. And if you are a regular listener, please consider doing so. I would not be able to do this podcast without the support of the patrons. So thank you to all the patrons. And patrons get access to bonus content, including recording of myself reading my entire novel, The Gold Box. So you can listen to the novel as an audiobook uh, on my Patreon site. Speaking of books, you can also support the podcast by buying any of my books. They're all available on Amazon. You can find them all at paultrammell.com slash books. If you'd like to read, please take a look. Thanks to J.B. Langley for their support, makers of outdoor clothing, as well as the Altus Rain Suit. I've been wearing the Altus Rain Jacket, absolutely waterproof warm, comfortable, super high quality. Find them at jblangley.com. Thanks to Blue for their support, makers of the Nemo and Nomad tankless dive systems. I have the Nemo and I'll be using that primarily to clean the hull of Windflower. It is a battery powered tankless dive system that floats above you and uh, runs a hose down to you, allowing you to stay underwater uh, for an hour or an hour and a half. Plenty of time to uh, for me to clean the bottom of my hull, which is going to save me a lot of money and a lot of effort. And it's also going to be a lot safer than trying to do it while holding my breath. Find them at DiveBlue.com. That's D-I-V-E-B-L-U-3.com. Thanks to Royal Robins for their support, makers of fine clothing. Uh, When I put on nice clothes to go into town, I always put on Royal Robins. Find them at RoyalRobins.com. And thanks to Scamar for their support. Scamar makes... The monitor wind vane, they also sell the pelagic autopilot, which I use, and the anchor rescue system, which I've got 
Uh, the anchor rescue system allows you to uh, pick up your anchor by its tripping point whenever, whenever necessary. Uh, it's a system that lives on your anchor and you drop a yoke down that grabs a hold of it and you can lift your anchor from the tripping point. If it's hooked on something that you can't get up, it'll prevent you from having to uh, either get in the water to save your anchor or just to, to ditch your anchor. It could end up saving you uh, an anchor and your chain. Find them at scammarinternational.com. If you want to follow my adventures, you can find me on Instagram, uh, trammel.paul, and you can also find me on YouTube at Paul Trammel. All right, folks, until next time, happy sailing and peace out.